Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks Downloadable Messages. This week, Pastor Mike Yearly begins a brand new eight-part series entitled Songs of the Summer, a study in the Book of Psalms. Today he'll bring us the first message, Songs of the Summer. Well, good morning. It's warming up out there, huh? This is what you were telling me about. Oh man, I was in the valley on Thursday. I was in this huge parking lot out there and... uh, I got into a car that hadn't been, had been sitting there all day, hadn't been, uh, I thought, you know, if you didn't do something, like you just closed the doors, you'd die in 10 minutes. And I thought, I don't know exactly where hell is, but we've got to be getting close. I'm not sure, I'm not sure, but uh, anyway, uh, it's so good to be back, uh, and uh, enjoyed the week off last week, and uh, it's just, it's something funny about coming back that makes it feel more like home than ever. You know, it's like you left and you came back, I guess it's home, so... Um, let's, uh, let's pray and uh, launch it. Father, thank you so much for this time together, and uh, we just thank you for your word, and we're so thankful for your word. And God, as we launch into this new uh, series for the summer, we just pray that you be with us every step of the way, week by week, just as you were with the love and laws, and teaching us the things to our heart that we need to hear from you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Today we're launching this new series, you can see, uh, Songs of the Summer. It's a study in the book of Psalms, and I'm really excited about this. I've been working on it for several weeks, and so I'm already, you know, several lessons into it, and can't wait to get going. Um, when I was a kid, I loved summers. Any of you relate to that? You kind of love summers growing up. And, you know, it wasn't just the time off of school. It's all the other stuff that what was summer. It was long days at the beach, at least where I came from. And uh, it was just, it was uh, late nights, you know, you get to stay up late and hang out with your friends. And, but one of the things I loved about the summer was the songs of the summer. Uh, I don't know how they organized this, but it seemed like in the summer, they'd always like the top hits would come out, you know, like hot town, summer in the city, you know, whatever. And, uh, and I, now I'm really dating myself. Some of you are going like, never heard that song. Uh, <laughs> was that Frank Sinatra? No. Um, anyway. Uh, but I just, I loved it, you know, and it's just more relaxed, more kicked back. And, and I was thinking this week through my life, and this kind of dates me too, but I was thinking, you know, my first transistor radio, <laughs> you know, and, and then when cassette tapes came in, the boy, those are cool. You know, you can actually record off the radio and then, and then eight tracks came in. Oh, that was really cool. And, and then CDs and, and now we have iPods, you know, but it's just, it's so great in the summer, you know, to crank up the tunes, windows down. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun to do a series called Songs of the Summer and, and look at some of the top hits of ancient Israel in the book of uh, Psalms. And so that's what we're going to do. Uh, and today's going to be a little different. Uh, if you're here for the first time, this is going to be a little different than we normally do. Typically what we'll do is we'll take a passage of scripture or a topic in the Bible and we'll really dig down into what does the Bible teach about that topic and then how does that work out in our lives very practically and today's going to be a little different than that. Today's going to be more like a, like a Bible class for adults, if you will. Uh, what I want to do is kind of give you an overview of the Psalms so we can understand how these uh, carefully crafted works of art were written, why they were written, and, and how we can better understand them. And that my goal is that we, we grow a new appreciation for them that would just take us all through this series. It would kind of undergird the whole series. Um, when I was in college, I had a literature class. I went to a Christian college. And I had a literature class with an amazing professor. She was an older single wom- woman, and her name was Beatrice Batson. And she, uh, she had this odd accent. I, I never asked her where it came from, 
Um, but um, it was sort of like half British and half East Coast. You know, that's the best I could put it. And, and anyway, I, that class was amazing because we'd go off and we would read something that was hard to understand, like maybe Shakespeare's Macbeth or something like that, or, or uh, Brothers Karamazov by uh, uh, Dostoevsky. And, and you'd read these amazing works of literature, but, you know, it's just like half of it went over your head. It's like, you know, I kind of get what's going on here, but I kind of don't get what's going on here. And then you'd come into class and she would begin to unpack, well, let me talk about this novel or this play and how it was written and why it was written. And, 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 and she just began to like, kind of show us what was already there. I mean, it wasn't like she was reading into it. She was just like bringing out of it what was there. And it was always amazing. I, I, I just would walk away just blown away by the insights into life I got from this literature class. I almost became a lit major because of her. And, and so, and I, I still remember her up there with her, her this, this older lady with her accent, and she'd say, Class! Class! Do you see it, Class? And the first couple of times she did that, we thought, man, how do we get out of this? I gotta transfer this. This lady is scary, you know? But by the end of the quarter, I was living for those moments. Because I knew when she was seeing something, there was something worth seeing. And that I wasn't going to see it on my own. I needed her help. And once she showed it to me, it was all right there. I just, I just didn't have the background or the, the training to see it. And so today, that's sort of what I want this to be like. I want it to be a class where I kind of I say, class. Um, and, do you see it, class? Um, and what I want to do is just talk about the book of Psalms. I want to start off by, um, by setting the Psalms in the Old Testament. Um, a lot of us are new here to this whole thing of church. Uh, I know because I, I meet you every week almost or a couple times a month by these welcome desserts. A lot of you just really new. And, and a lot of you, even though you've been Christians for a long time, you've, you pulled me aside and said, you know, I'm not really that familiar with my Bible. I'm glad you're having us bring our Bibles. I'm learning this, but it's all new to me. And so I thought it might be helpful today to start off by just doing a quick overview of the Old Testament and where the book of Psalms fits in the Old Testament. I think this might be really helpful to you. And then we're going to talk about um, some things you need to know about the book of Psalms itself. And then we'll end up by talking about where we're going in this series this summer. So let's jump in. There in your note sheet in the front, you have a section called the book of Psalms, where it fits in the Old Testament. You have four fill in the blanks. So let's, let's jump in real quickly. Um, big picture, Old Testament. The Old Testament has 39 books. And the second blank is that it was written over a thousand year period of time. Now, obviously, the events covered in the Old Testament are more than a thousand years, but it was actually recorded over a thousand years. And notice it was written, the third one, by a wide assortment of people. And aren't you glad I filled in the blanks for you? Um, It's written, we have prophets who wrote and priests, kings wrote, historians wrote, shepherds wrote. The fill in the blank is is, uh, songwriters, because that's what we're studying, the book of Psalms, which is a book of songs. And so songwriters wrote, and sages, wise people, wise men and women. And most importantly, it's the Bible that Jesus used. I think sometimes we forget this, you know, that when Jesus read his Bible, it was the Old Testament. And many times we'll say, oh, I don't really read the Old Testament. I don't get it. It's too hard to understand. Well, that's the Bible Jesus read. You know, that's, the, that's the, uh, where God taught him about life and how to live life and so on. That's the Bible he quoted and the Bible he taught from. And so it's so important for us to kind of grow up in our faith and understand the Old Testament because it has so much to teach us about life and God and how to live. And the Psalms are just one example. Now, the next thing there, you have a chart. 
And um, what I've done is broken down the whole Old Testament into three sections, okay? And so it's, these are going to come up on PowerPoint. They're going to come up there on your notes. So whatever is more comfortable for you. But notice in the first column... We have 17 books, okay? And they're, we call them historical books. They just tell the history of, from everything from the creation of the world to the end of the Old Testament, all right? So they have 17 books like that. Starts with Genesis, ends with Esther. Then the middle section, and by the way, those are the books that start off your Bible. If you look at your table of contents and followed it, those 17 books come first. The next five books, the middle column, are the poetical books. And these are books that deal with... Uh, things like uh, you know, philosophical questions in life, practical questions in life, everything from um, why do good, uh, bad things happen to good people, like the book of Job, to things like, well, just help me understand how to live life wisely, book of Proverbs, to, well, what do you have to say about my love life, Song of Solomon? You know, just kind of practical, okay? And then you have, th- and those come next in your Bible. If you will follow your table of contents, that comes next, Okay. Then the third section comes in your Bible is um, the, the prophets, the prophetical books. There's 17 of those. Starts with Isaiah, it was with Malachi. And, you know, when we think of prophets, we often think of foretelling the future. But that's not the prime, that was a small part of the prophet's job description. Their job was really to speak on behalf of God to the nation to teach them how to live. This is the right path. This is the wrong path. You're out of path. You get back in line. That was really their primary job. And foretelling the future was a very small part of what they they did. But they were sort of like the spiritual leaders of the day, almost like pastors today, speaking to the people and saying, this is what God wants to say to you for today, okay? Now we can break down those three categories a little bit more. Let's go back to the left column, the historical one. And you'll notice on the left there up at the top, if you turn your paper sideways, it says Pentateuch. That's the first five books of history. They were written by Moses. Penta stands for five, the Greek word five, you know, like pentathlon. Tukas is the scroll or books. It's the first five books. Starts with Genesis, with the creation of the world. It goes through the, 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 the uh, history of the nation of Israel, how it started. And, uh, and by the time we end in Deuteronomy, they're right ready to go in the promised land. They've gone through Egypt, through slavery. They've cut, they're ready to go in the promised land. The, that book ends, Deuteronomy, there, with them ready to go. And then in the next section, on the lower left, we have um, 12 more books that take you from Joshua, where Israel goes into the promised land, and then um, takes you all through the rest of the Old Testament in the book of Esther. And then you go to the middle section. Of course, we have there, notice that our book of Psalms is in the middle section. So it's a book of poetry, Hebrew poetry. We'll talk more about what Hebrew poetry looks like later. But it's a particular kind of poetry. It's the poetry of music. When we read the book of Psalms, it's important to understand we're reading lyrics to songs. Okay? These were songs meant to be sung, and we'll see that um, uh, later on. And then if you go to the, the, the third category, um, prophetical, we can split that up. If you turn your paper sideways, you'll see we have five major prophets. The reason they're called major is not because they're more important, but because they're longer. And then you have the minor prophets. There's 12 of them. They just tend to be shorter. And so that's how your Old Testament's laid out. So can you see how simple that is? I mean, it's pretty simple, isn't it? You get first, if you open your table of contents, you have the books of history first, then the books of poetry, then the prophets. So even if you don't like know all the books of the Bible or can recite them, all you have to know is like, oh yeah, that's one of those prophet guys. You know kind of generally the category where you need to be, okay? So uh, history goes first, poetry second, and then uh, prophets third. Now, 
Let's talk a little bit more about the book of Psalms. Turn your page. And let's go in this section I'm calling Behind the Music, sort of a VH1 take on the Bible. Um, Four things you need to know about these songs, or these psalms, okay? Number one, the first thing you need to know is that the psalms are poetry, and Hebrew poetry means parallelism. Now, honestly, this would be the toughest thing we talk about today. It's not going to be that tough, but if you're like, hey, man, I I was expecting to come to church and just relax, you know, just want to warn you. Um, Hebrew poetry means parallels, and I'll explain that in just a minute. When we think of poetry today as English speakers for the most part, what, what, we, what we think of is we think of rhythm and rhyme. Okay, so we think of poetry, we tend to think of rhyme. So, like, think of a famous poet like, uh, like Dr. Seuss, for example. Um, I checked this out yesterday and uh, brought up the cat and the hat. And so it says, the sun did not shine. It was too wet to play. So we sat in the house all that cold, cold, wet day. Now, see, that's to us poetry. It, it, see, it rhymes. And uh, now I know that some of you are, are literature majors, and you're going, that's not all there is to poetry. I know, I know. Uh, there's more than cat in the hat. But... <laughs> But we do tend to think in terms of rhyme. We also think in terms of rhythm, you know, the meter of a poem. Uh, what meter is it? Is it iambic pentameter or is you know, something else? But it's what, what is the meter of this, this poem? Um, and so we tend to think like that. Well, Hebrew poetry has nothing to do with rhyme or, or well, it has something to do with, maybe a little bit with meter, but it has nothing to do with rhyme for sure, maybe a little bit to do with meter. The scholars are still trying to figure that one out. But... Um, but we know it has to do with parallelism. And what parallelism is, is think the Olympics, okay? The Olympics, gymnastics, you have the parallel bars, right? So there are two bars parallel to each other. You need both of them to perform the exercises. Well, in Hebrew poetry, what you'll see over and over again, it's written in these two-line couplets. And they go together, like they're parallel, like parallel bars, and they hang together, Okay. Now, sometimes they'll string several of those together and even go three or four at a time, but the normal thing you'll see is this parallels, this couplets. And, and so they, they hang together, and so you can't have one without the other. They're designed to go together. Now, once you understand that, Psalms is going to come much more like, oh, I get this thing. So, um, well, actually, you know, a lot of the poetry you'll get, but especially Psalms. Um, so, um, I want to talk to you for a second about three different types of parallelism, okay? And I'll give you an example from the book of Psalms. So, now these are not technical terms I'm going to give you. There are technical terms for these. We call them synonymous, antithetic, and um, uh, what's the other one? Um, synthet- yeah, synthetic. So there's three, but they're, they're kind of hard to remember. You probably won't remember. So I just want to give you the flavor. So I'm making up my own words, Okay. So, number one, the first kind of parallelism is, I'm going to call it similar parallelism. And the reason we call it that is because the second line is, of the couplet is a similar idea to the first line. So, let me give you an example. Let's take your Bible, turn to Psalm 49. And for each of these, I'll give you an example of how they work, so you can kind of, kind of get this. And once I point it out, you're going to go like, oh, yeah, I see that's obvious, and the whole summer, is, as we read these Psalms, will make a lot more sense. You'll just... They'll just be much richer. You'll be saying, class, class. Do you see the class? Okay, so verse 1. Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all who live in this world. 
both low and high, rich and poor alike. Now notice, first of all, see how your Bible separates those two couple, the two, two line couplets into verses? And so it says, look at the first one. Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all who live in this world. Now, do you see how those two are saying the same thing? They're just different words for saying the same thing. Now, often I'll do this when I'll teach. I'll make a statement, and then I'll follow up with a very similar statement. Now, why? Am I really adding something to it? I'm not really adding anything. It's the same thought just repeated. But what happens when you do that, something happens in our brain. We kind of catch it on the first one, and now it fills it in on the second part. And you, you get the concept in a richer, fuller way. Instead of black and white, it becomes color. And so you see that there. Listen, or hear this, all you peoples, listen, all who live in this world. There's a couple. Look at the next one. Both low and high, rich and poor alike. You see it's saying the same thing. It's just, it's just, it's, so this is what we call similar parallelism. Two-line couplets, the second line basically restates what the first line said, but it just gives a sense of fullness. It goes from black and white to color. Now, the second kind of parallelism is just the opposite. And this is where you have two opposing ideas linked together. So I'm going to call it opposite parallelism, where the second line has the opposite idea as the first line. Now let's look at an example of this. Let's go to Psalm 1. By the way, this is where we'll be jumping off in Psalms next week. Psalm 1 seemed like a good place to begin. <laughs> And we'll go to verse 6. It gets to the end of this psalm, and it says, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. But, so we're going to oppose it now with, well, whatever. We're going to oppose it now. I was going to say a big but, but that just didn't sound quite right. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You see, it's a contrast. It says, God is going to watch over and protect the way of the righteous, but in opposition to that, the way of the wicked is not going to be protected. It's going to perish, you see. And so it's contrasting ideas. And you'll see this a lot in the Psalms, but especially in the book of Proverbs. You know, the way of the righteous is this, the way of the wicked is this. And this contrast that goes on. And so we call that, well, at least I'm calling it opposite parallelism. Now, number three, the third kind of parallelism is um, additional parallelism. And we're, this is where the second lines, and, and it might even be more than two, because when it's additional, I often have multiple lines. But the second line adds additional information. So it's not the same. It's not the opposite. It's additional. It's building. It's almost like you lay ground one foundation, then we're going to add something to it. We're going to add something like we're building a house. And the effect is a sense of crescendo. There's a sense of uh, building in, in the poetry that, you know, this plus this plus this, and it's like we're building and going somewhere. Look at, uh, let's start, turn to Psalm 46. Illustrate this. Okay, so it says, um, God is our, the first verse is an example of similar parallelism, like we, we looked at a minute ago. God is our refuge and strength. He's an ever-present help in trouble. Okay, kind of saying very similar things. Therefore, we will not fear, verse 2. Now, watch how this builds. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, and though its waters roar and foam, 
and the mountains quake with their surging. Do you sense the build here that's going on, the crescendo effect that's happening here? So he's saying, hey, we're not, hey, God is our refuge, our strength. He's going to be with us. He's going to protect us no matter what. It doesn't matter, man. It doesn't matter if this happens. It doesn't matter if this happens. It doesn't matter if this happens. And, you know, it doesn't matter if the car breaks. It doesn't matter if, <laughs> you know, I'm running out of money at the bank. It doesn't matter if I break my arm. It doesn't matter. And there's a building. There's an additional sense of going, oh, what's happening here? A crescendo. And so we call that, I'm going to call that additional parallelism. Now, this will be helpful as you go through the Psalms because it'll help you to understand what the author is doing. Sometimes people have even misunderstood the Psalms because they read the first line of a thing and, and, they, and, they, and the second line and they go, oh, see, well, this is what happened here and this is something different here. No, he's building on it. And, and so if you understand Hebrew poetry, it's going to really help you to uh, just appreciate the depth of these Psalms and, and really catch the message. Now, number two, there's four things I want to go over about the Psalms. Number two, the second thing you need to know about the Psalms is that there are many different ki- or, uh, types of Psalms. Now, when we think of Psalms, I think for most Christians, we have certain favorites, you know, kind of like our, our golden oldies. And so, um, you know, we know of very few Psalms. Most people have never really read through all the Psalms. Um, and, and there's some you just can identify with more, and so they're your favorites. So, for example, um, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not... Very good. See? Um, I, have hidden, I have hid your word in my heart that I might not... Sense. See, very good. Um, I will dash the baby's heads upon a few of you know the rock. Yeah, see, it, it doesn't it doesn't really tend to be in the top ten, you know, of like it just some about the tune, you know, dash those babies, you know, it just um, it it doesn't really make it. And so, for what happens is that we typically go back to certain psalms over and over again. And we're kind of oblivious to the wide variety of psalms there are. So um, if, if we were to get, and this is much like our music, by the way. For example, we have love songs. We have ballads. We have uh, marches. When you're down, you sing the blues. Right. Um, and so we have different kinds now. Now, if you're really up and like life is really cool, do you want to sing the blues? No, no, that would be off, you know. But if you're really depressed and someone says, hey, man, let's do a march, you know, da-da-da, you know, it's like, what are you talking about? Get out of here. Turn off that station. I'm down. I'm depressed. Turn on something depressing. I want to be depressed. <laughs> so, so, there's, so just like our music has different kinds of songs for different occasions and different moods, so Israel had different kinds of psalms to reflect different moods different occasions. So if you were to get a group of scholars in the room and say, okay, so tell us, tell us what the types of psalms are, they would not agree. I, I don't think I've ever seen two scholars agree exactly on the categories. But really what's so important is not the exact categories, but you catch the concept that there are different kinds. But um, I, what I've done there is I've listed for you, I've made up my own categories, okay? Non-technical terms, but to help you get a flavor for this. So seven types of psalms. Let's, let's go. Number one. The first type of psalm are praise psalms. Now, these are psalms that you would sing when you want to celebrate who God is and what he's done for your life. For example, um, David writes a psalm, and it's there in your note sheet, Psalm 18, 1 to 3. And now notice it has an introduction. Um, 
And this, these, many of the psalms will have introductions. Many don't, but many do. They kind of tell you why this song was written, who wrote it, maybe what tune it goes to, you know. Um, and so uh, it goes like this. For the director of music. Now, many of the psalms were written, in fact, a lot of scholars think that most of them were written, to be used in worship services, okay? So these were songs that someone write. And so this one says, for the director of music. In other words, for the music director at the temple. You know, we're writing this for the music director at the temple. Now, we have a music director here. Her name is Jan Roper. And so this would be like, for the music director, Jan Roper, all right? Now, it says, uh, it's of David, the servant of the Lord. So so many times that means either David wrote it or it's somehow associated with David, written for David or something like that. So it's of David, the servant of the Lord. Now, he sang. Now, underline that. He sang. I, I want to drive this home. These are songs that we're studying this summer, okay? They're songs of the summer. He sang to the Lord the words of this song. Underline that word song. Did you know that the word psalm in Hebrew means song? That's what it means. Now, when the Lord delivered him from the hands of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So you might remember that David was chased by Saul for many years, King Saul, who was jealous of him and wanted to kill him. There came a time when Saul died in battle. David ascended to the throne. Now he no longer had to worry about Saul and these other enemies. And so David wants to write a song just to celebrate how, go- how good God's been to him, keeping him alive all these years. And so this is a song. It's a song of praise. And so it starts off, I love you, O Lord, my strength. And the Lord's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. He, what is he talking about? He's talking about all these years, Saul was within an inch of catching him, and he didn't. God protected him. And he goes, I love you, God. You're so amazing. You're my rock. You're my strength. You're my fortress. You are absolutely so cool. I love you. And you see, it's a psalm of praise, and there's many psalms like that. Now, the second kind of psalm is a psalm of prayer. And we won't take the time to look at one, but Psalm 88 is there if you want to look at it later. But these are psalms where you're in a jam, you're in trouble, you need help. God, I need you. I'm going down. If you don't help me, I'm going to drown, that sort of thing. So that's psalms of prayer. Let's go number three. Third kind of psalm is psalms of pain. These are psalms, and and, and we're going to really roll up our sleeves and jump into this one later in the summer, because there are times in life where... God is really present even during the dark times. You're going through a really dark time, but you sense the presence of God and he's carrying you through. But there are other times in life where you're going through a really hard time and God seems to be nowhere on the radar. I mean, he is not answering the phone. The line is busy. Best thing you're getting is answering machine. And so the psalmist often felt like that. And so they would write these psalms. The formal term for this are psalms of lament which is kind of a, a kind of a fancy way of saying they're really ticked off and they're complaining. You know, what's with it, God? You're not living up to your job description. And so um, these are songs of pain. Uh, psalm 22 is, is a great example. We're going to look at that one this summer. It's a psalm of David where he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, there's an opening line for you, you know. Hey, enter into his courts with thanksgiving. You know, when you pray, always start with praise. I don't think he read that book. <laughs> like, God, you know, what's up? You know, what's up, man? You're rejecting me. You're forsaking me. Uh, what's going on? I don't get it. You see? 
These are psalms of pain. A fourth kind of psalm is a psalm of repentance. There are times in life we get off track and we need to get back on track with God. How do you do that? Well, there's certain psalms that talk about how they did it. Here's an example from Psalm 51. It's for the director of music again, okay? So it's going to be used in the, in the temple. It's a psalm of David again. And this says when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So this is the occasion when David wrote this psalm. And he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Will you blot out my transgression and will you wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin? For I know, man, I've blown it big time. I know my transgressions, my sin. It's always before me. Man, I try to blot it out of my eyes. I, try, I, I wish I'd ever done it. Why did I do that stupid thing, that fateful day? Why didn't I just turn away? Why didn't I turn the channel? Why didn't I go somewhere else? Why did I make that phone call? God, why? But here's a man dealing with how do you get right with God when you're so wrong, you know? And we're going to roll up our sleeves and talk about that some, this summer. Number five is wisdom psalms. Now, wisdom psalms are designed to teach us how to live life so that we can be successful. Now, the biblical word for successful is blessed, that you'll be blessed, that life will go well, God will bless your life. To me, that's kind of a stained glass word today. The only time we really use it, other than Christians, is when someone sneezes. And so um, I like to use different words to kind of help us see the reality of what's going on. And, and so it's really talking about, well, how do you be successful in a God sense? You know, God's, God's with you. God's orchestrating your life. You're, you're living the life you're intended to live. And so wisdom psalms are designed like that. We'll look at one next week, the start of uh, Psalm 1. Number six, the sixth kind of psalm are worship psalms. Now, as I mentioned, a lot of these psalms are designed to be used in worship, but some obviously stand out as really designed for corporate worship. For example, there in your note sheet, I put Psalm 136. Now, Psalm 136 is 26 verses long. In fact, let's open our Bibles to this. Okay, um, now, look at this psalm. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him who go alone does great wonders. Hey, his love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens. Hey, his love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. His love endures forever. You're beginning to run it. Man, I'm not sure songwriting is your thing. You know, it's like, don't give up the day job. You know, it's like a little repetitive. You know, it's one thing to have a, a, a chorus, but you know, like every other line. But, but now picture it this way. Picture that we're in church here. Picture we're in the temple, that we've come into the temple. We've traveled for 90 miles to get there over a week. And it's one of the great festivals. And you come in, and the priests are up front. And they stand up, and they say, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. And all the people respond, His love endures forever. And then the priests go on, Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. Can you see how that would build? It would be a powerful worship experience. Now imagine it this way, that 
that half of the congregation on this side starts off and says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And this side responds, his love endures forever, you see. And imagine going through 26 verses of that. And by the time you get done, man, you're ready to jump on your chairs, you know, and, and say, wow, God's amazing, you see. So some of the Psalms were designed to be written, to be used in worship specifically. And then the last category, the seventh category, I'm calling this special events. Well, we have songs today for special events. It's the inauguration. And so you have a rock star come in for the presidential ball, and he sings a special song, you know, may your bushes be blessed or, you know, whatever. Um, and, and so they had special occasions too. And so, for example, um, when a king would get married, they might have a wedding song. So there's an example there, Psalm 45, one, for the director of music to the tune of lilies, obviously a hot tune in that day. It was written by the sons of Korah. Uh, it was a mascal. It was, no one knows what that is, by the way. Uh, it was a wedding song. No, it's a wedding song. And so th- they start off, you know, hey, my heart is stirred by a noble theme. As I reside by verses for the king. And so they do this song and my tongue, and then skip down to verse 13. It says, all glorious is the princess within her chamber. Her gown is interwoven with gold. See, so it's talking about the bride coming out. And so this is a song that's designed to be sung on that day for the wedding of the king. Uh, Another kind of situation. Three times of year, Israel was to make the trek from wherever they lived to Jerusalem, to the city of the great king, where they would worship for the Feast of Passover or the Feast of Tabernacles or for the Feast of Pentecost, these sorts of things. And so you can imagine you're there in Galilee up in the north. And one of your buddies says to you, hey, let's let's go to the house of the Lord, man. Let's let's go up to Jerusalem. And you say, oh, cool, that'd be so awesome. We had such a great time there worshiping God last time. Yeah, let's do it, okay? You can kind of imagine that. And so these pilgrims would travel together from great distance. And as Jerusalem was elevation, what, 3,000 feet or something. And so they always talk about going up to Jerusalem. And so these pilgrims would be traveling up to Jerusalem for these pilgrim feasts. And sometimes as they would go, there would be certain psalms that were written for them to sing together as they approached the city of the king. These were called songs of ascent. Ascent meaning you're going up to the king. So for example, Psalm 122 there says it's a song of ascent. And and look what it says. The guy who's writing it says, man, I rejoiced with those who said to me, you know, back in my hometown, let us go to the house of the Lord. And now they arrived, they made the trip, and they said, and now our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. So imagine this, you're, you're there, and you've made this trip, and you've come up with all these pilgrims, and you're there, and the temple's there, and you're coming into the gates, and you stop, and you begin to sing this song. Man, I was so happy when my buddy said to me, let's go and worship God in Jerusalem, go to the house of God. And then they said, and now we're here, we're here at your gates, O Jerusalem. You see that? You see, these are songs for special occasions. Now, What's important for us about that is that when we're reading the Psalms this summer, we want to be very intentional and put on our detective hats and say, what was the situation that produced this song? Yeah, have you ever gone to a concert of your favorite artist and they're saying, let me tell you about the song and why I wrote the song? Isn't that great? And you go, oh, now I get it. And every time from that point on, you hear the song, you go, oh, I get it. Well, you see... We need to have that same mindset. It's not always told us. Sometimes it is, but many times it's not. But if you read the lyrics, it's not that hard to figure out, oh man, this guy's in a jam. He's going down. 
That's why he wrote this psalm. Or, wow, this guy, God's really delivered him something major. That's what's going on. Or he's feeling like totally abandoned by God. That's what's going on. And so that's what we'll want to look for this summer. What's going on? And you, you put on the detective hat and we ask the question, the who, what, where, when, why? What's going on in this psalm? And that's what we'll be doing together. Now, the last, uh, or the next uh, point, number three, is that the psalms are carefully crafted works of literature. You know, when I was a kid growing up and reading the Psalms, I, I kind of assumed, I always visualized David on a hillside with his harp, just kind of making up a tune, you know. And, uh, hey, I couldn't sleep, time to count my sheep, and, you know, just started doing his thing. And it's like, oh, I know, so let's write a song about God, you know. And uh, so um, kind of visualized it that way. It's just sort of what my, my kids would call shower songs. You know, you're in the shower, you start singing, making up a song. Um, and it's really the opposite. The reality is these are carefully crafted works of literature. Let, let me give you some examples. In the Old Testament, there was the personal name of God named Yahweh, right? You're familiar with that? And so when, when God appeared to Moses, he said, I, I, am, I am who I am, and Yahweh, and that's my name. And I haven't made, told anyone else, but I'm telling you, and... And so for Israel, that was a very high and holy name. And we translate it by the word Lord in the Old Testament. But there's two kinds of Lord. If you read your Old Testament, sometimes Lord has just a capital L at the beginning of it, and then all smaller, lowercase. Sometimes if you've noticed in your Bibles, most of your Bibles will be this way, there'll be all caps for Lord, L-O-R-D, all caps. Whenever that happens, that's the Hebrew name for Yahweh. That's why they're doing that. Now, the interesting thing is you study the Psalms, you'll realize that many of the Psalms were carefully crafted so that they would use the name of Yahweh seven times. Perfect number. Uh, sometimes they, were, they would use it ten times, number of completion. Sometimes the Psalm starts off with the first verse on Yahweh, ends with a statement about Yahweh. Yahweh's at the beginning, Yahweh's at the end. You know, God's the Alpha and the Omega, that kind of a thing, you see? Um, many of the Psalms, they, they lead up to the strong, the midpoint of the Psalm, and the exact midpoint of the Psalm is the most important statement in the whole Psalm. And they're designed to go, they, everything leads up to it, and then everyone leads down from it. Uh, some of the Psalms are what we call acrostic Psalms, where they, every verse starts with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. In fact, I want you to look at what? Uh, Psalm 119. Now, Psalm 119 is a Psalm about God's word and the power of God's word in our life. Now, I want you to notice something. You may not have noticed this before, but at the top of your Bible, right under Psalm 118, do you see something that says Aleph there? Do you see that, Aleph? Um, is anyone awake out there? Did anyone see Aleph? No, okay, thank you. Okay, now, just want to check. To the, to the, next of, to the left of the Aleph is a little squig, couple squiggles. You see that? That's the Hebrew letter Aleph. Aleph is the, the A in the Hebrew alphabet. So the Hebrew alphabet goes Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Daleth. Kind of like A, B, we don't have a Gimel, but A, B, C, D. Okay? So um, here's, here's the way it works. This psalm, there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And what this psalmist has done, he's written 22 stanzas. Of verses, eight verses each. So there's 176 verses in the Psalms, 22 times eight. And for each of those eight verses, 
For each letter of the Hebrew alphabet, he has eight verses, and every verse starts with that letter. Now, this is amazing. So, for example, if you look at Aleph, verse 1 starts with Aleph, verse 2 starts with Aleph, verse 3 starts with Aleph in the Hebrew, and it goes all through verse 8. Then it goes to Beit. looks like Beth, but they say Beit. That's, and that's the Hebrew letter B. And, and then all the next eight verses all start with Beit. And then you look down to verse 17, and above it you see Gimel. Um, this is a great name for a letter, Gimel. Um, anyway, verse 17 through 24 are all Gimels. Now, do you understand how long it would take to do this? <laughs> do, you, do you realize how much time and intentionality carefully crafting this takes to write this? A whole psalm on God's word where it's carefully crafted to where every letter of every verse is measured out. And I think there's a tremendous lesson here for us. Here's the lesson. When we come to worship, God expects expects us to bring our brains along. That we are called to love God with all of our heart, soul, and our mind. Can I tell you something? Christians, we should be the best thinkers in all the world. Many times, followers of Jesus have kind of felt like, oh, you can't trust your brain, you know, and it's not the wisdom of this world that, you know, it's, we don't want to be in the wisdom of the world. So we've shut off our brain, and we've become like morons for Jesus, you know. Like, hey, you know, I'm really spiritual. I'm a moron. I don't think. I love Jesus. It's like, hello, did you ever read the verse, loving God with all of your mind? You see? And the psalmist just lay this out for us, the incredible intentionality and excellence they bring to worship. We should be the best at whatever we do. Whatever God calls you to do in your life, you tune up cars, you fix people's bodies, you're an astrophysicist, we should be striving to love God with all of our minds and whatever he's called us to do. We're called to excellence. We're not called to be morons for Jesus. Okay, number four. The last principle that jumps out to me is that the Psalms will lead us to life if we listen. And of course, that's why we're studying them this summer. I love the Psalms. God has met me in the Psalms over my life. They are amazing literature. If we did not have them, we would be so much more poor. You know, you want to learn how to be an authentic Christian and have a real relationship with God? Well, welcome to the Psalms. They're going to walk you in the door and say, here's how to do it. You know, they are so real. They're so raw. They're so beautiful. You, you're going to, what does it look like to be passionately in love with God? You're going to learn how that from the Psalms. What does it look like to truly trust God in your life? You're going to learn that from the Psalms. Well, what does it look like to be real and authentic? Oh, welcome to the Psalms. My God, my God, why have you rejected me? You say, the Psalms are going to teach us how to do life this summer. And what I would ask you to do is to really open your hearts at the beginning of the summer and say, God, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to say to me this summer uh, through this word? There in your note sheet, there's a great verse from David, Psalm 1611, where he says, he's talking to God, and he says, God, you have made known to me the path of life, and you fill me with joy in your presence. Now, the reason I want to hear what David has to say is because of that. That God has shown him the path to life. 
And I want to have come up by David and say, David, would you show me the path to life too? I, I want to know the path to life. I want to get the most out of life. I want to know who God is. I want to know who he's created me to be. I want to know how we're to relate. I want to know how to do life well. Would you teach me? And he says, yes, I will. Let me show you the path to life, what God showed me. And then he says, you will fill me with joy in your presence. I mean, hey, what's better than that? Isn't that what we're all after in life? We want joy in life. We want something inside of us that gives us meaning and purpose and reason to live. He says, well, that's what it's about. And so that's why we're studying the Psalms this summer. Not because all this other stuff. This other stuff, parallelism and all that, that's just important because as we go through, it's going to turn it from black and white to color for you. Now, we're going to spend seven weeks talking about Psalms, and we'll point out things, and you're like, oh, I get it. And you're going to grow, and you're loving God with your mind. You're learning how the Scripture is put together. But the number one reason we're, we're studying it is because it'll lead, them to li- lead us to life. Now, let's just do a quick overview, kind of a, a preview of coming attractions for what, what's happening this summer. Seven Psalms we've chosen out. Number one, Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is the path to success. Uh, Two paths diverged in the middle of my life. I heard the poet say, I took the one less travel by, and that made the difference every night and every day. That's Psalm 1. Two paths in life. Uh, How do you you succeed in life? Uh, Number two, Psalm 46. How to cope with a crisis. Have you ever gone through a crisis? Well, if you haven't, it's coming. (laughs) Number three, Psalm 25, two-way communication, what it takes to hear God's voice. Man, have you ever wanted to have a closer relationship with God? Have you ever wanted to to know how does God feel about that? Does he want to communicate with you? Does he want to speak to your heart directly? I think our relationship with God takes off when we start experiencing that. We're going to talk about what that looks like. Number four, Psalm 22, the power of pain. These times in our life when God seems so distant and we're in so much pain, what is up with that? Number five, Psalm 51, how to get right with God. No show of hands, but have you ever needed a message like that? <laughs> you know, just either through distraction or disobedience, you're far from home. God, you need like someone to say 47 miles to God this way, you know, and you need someone to point the path. Uh, number six, Psalm 100 hardwired for worship. God's designed us to worship. Jesus said that God is seeking for true worshipers, worshipers who will, who will worship in spirit and truth. He says God's on the lookout for people like that. Are you one of them? Are you going to be one of them? Are you going to be someone who gets to come into his presence and worship him truly? Are you one of those people? Well, we're going to talk about what it takes to be one of those people. Number seven, Psalm 139, living on purpose. God have a plan for your life? Does he care about you? Does he know your name? How, how much does he know? How involved is he in your life? That's it. Seven songs for the summer. I can't wait. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for, uh, for this church and for this series. Lord, I know it's from you. Uh, I just clearly know it's a gift from you. And, uh, and it's the mocha. I get to be the cup. And I'm just thankful for that, you know, that we just get to drink deeply this summer from your word. And uh, we pray that you'd meet us in the Psalms, that you'd show us the path to life. That's our prayer. Amen. I want you to reach inside of your bulletin. And I want you to, we're doing something new this summer that we've never done before, <laughs> like everything I do here. But um, <laughs> there's this uh, handout called, it's a, your homeless is on your own, a summer study of God's word. 
And we weren't planning on writing homework this summer to go with the messages because the life groups aren't going. But I've had so many of you come up and talk about how you've been using this in your personal study life and how what a great thing it's been to get you back in the Word. And so we decided that we're going to write homework. But it's going to be a little bit differently. Instead of looking back on the message, it's going to look forward to the coming message. So like the homework this week is on Psalm 1 that I'll be teaching on next week. So to prepare you and all, be a great study. Actually, uh, I put in a lot more stuff than normal because you won't be, you'll, you'll be using your personal study throughout the week. And so um, there's a lot of scripture and so on, but it should lead you through that. And hopefully that'll be a really helpful way for you to connect with God this summer through his word. So thanks a lot. I'll look forward to seeing you next week as we go into Psalm uh, 1. Have a great week.